Well, good morning again. Hard to believe this is our third and final trip over here. It seems like we just got here. Uh, I don't want you to think we're heading back to Michigan right away. Every time I end up my three-week stint wherever we go, that people think we're heading right back to Michigan. Well, we're not that foolish. Uh, uh, it's, it's plain brutal back there. And uh, we had a kind of chuckle this morning because uh, Pat and I, oh, it's really cool, you know, because it's 50, 60. Well, back home, it's wind chills below zero. Uh, there's really no comparison. In fact, I, my son, about a week ago, we told him what the temperature was here and what the temperature was there. He says, well, that's, that's 80 degrees difference. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's really good to be with you folks today. Uh, uh, enjoy the special number, Lauren. And it's interesting how we'll tie in a little bit to what we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, open your Bibles just to begin with to um, John's Gospel, Chapter 7. Uh, <clears throat> Rick mentioned that, you know, that the Lord would share the message he's laid on my heart. Well, it's interesting how that does work. I have several things that I'm thinking about, and it's amazing in the course of studying through the week to come here, what the Lord actually does kind of narrow it down and say, this is kind of what I feel you should be speaking upon, and I feel I have comfort about that. And so what we're going to be dealing with today uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ earthly ministry. Now, you know, we gathered together this morning to remember him, and we focused on him and, of course, his atoning death on Calvary's cross and all the marvelous things that are ours because of that. But what we're going to look at today uh, is his actual ministry as he walked here as the Son of Man. And there's a twofold purpose in this. Uh, one, of course, is to remind you of some things that we should be reminded of all the time. But also, I want to really emphasize that as we look at his earthly ministry, it's an ex example of what our walk and ministry should be as his children in this world. And I came up with three different uh, words that kind of reveal. Now, these aren't the only way you can talk about these things, but these are the three words that came to my mind. We're going to look at his words, and it's interesting in the song that was just sung. It, it spoke about his marvelous words. And we're going to look at his walk, how he walked while he was on this earth, and, of course, then his works on this earth. Now, we know what we celebrated this morning was the culmination <clears throat> and the primary purpose of his coming was to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. But we can learn an awful lot about our Lord's earthly ministry as we look at it. And I'm trusting that what it will do is encourage our hearts to live and speak and work as he did. Obviously, we can't do it to the degree he did, but our desire should be to do it to the degree that he did. So this morning, this morning we're going to look at his words. And then tonight, Lord willing, we'll look at his walk and his works. And there's just one little phrase here in chapter 7 of John. It's in the 46th verse. And, of course, the context... Uh, 
is where you have the uh, officers who were sent out by the Pharisees and the chief priests to go out and bring Jesus back to them. And, of course, they come back empty-handed. And they say, well, why? Why didn't you bring him back? Well, the words that he, they spoke at the end of verse 46 is what I want to start our approach here with. No man spake like this man. No man has ever spoken like this man. This was their response. They didn't come up with all kinds of excuses. It's just after hearing him speak, now, there was no way that they were going to take hold of him. No man spake like this man. And, of course, that shouldn't surprise us because, you know, he was the only true and living God. What he spoke was God's word. And there's three things that I want to share with you from Scripture that might explain what they had in mind. You see, well, how did he speak like other men never spoke? Well, the first thing was with authority. He spoke with authority. In Matthew chapter 7, 29, we read, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, who are the ones that uh, sent him? Well, the scribes, the chief priests, and the, and, and the Pharisees, you know, they're the ones, you know. And the scribes are supposedly the teachers of the law. And they were speaking with authority. So they thought. But obviously, in the eyes of these men who came back, he thought, here's a man who speaks with authority. Not like the scribes who pretend to speak with authority. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today who are in places of authority. And therefore, they speak so to think, as they think with authority. Now, maybe in relationship to certain things, that may be true. But the truth of the matter is, so many of us speak with authority when we have no authority at all. And it comes across that way. You know, even as a minister of God's word, I understand that if anything comes across with authority, it isn't me. It's the word of God. That's where the authority is. So those things that I share from the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can take as authority. Anything else that I say, even though I may sound authoritative when I say it, does not make it words of authority. The second thing is words were gracious. I'm sure they picked up on that. Oh, yes, he spoke with authority and yet gracious. We read in Luke 4.22, all bore witness of him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Oh, yes, he spoke with authority, but graciously. They could see the graciousness in this dear man as he spoke to them. And then the third thing 
John 1.17 came to mind. He spoke with wisdom. Wisdom. Not intellect, but with wisdom. Applied knowledge. In John 1.17, the law was given by and through Moses, but grace and truth or wisdom came through Jesus Christ. Now, as I thought about those three words... <laughs> Obviously, the Spirit of God spoke to me because I understand, and he made me understand. Bob, you have no authority, but the authority I give you, and that's to speak the word of God. But are my words gracious? Am I gracious? And I want you to think about how gracious your words are. Oh, at times we are, <laughs> and other times it's anything but. And what about wisdom? Oh, we like to boast about things we know and understand, and this is my interpretation, and boy, I think it's really important you listen to this. Nonsense. The only true wisdom comes from God. So again, you see, as we talk about these things, his, his worthy ministry, we want to focus on his words a little bit this morning. And... Just in case you need a reminder, we're going to be using uh, verses where the Lord literally spoke while he was here on earth. But you know, all of scripture is the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just two passages I'm going to mention to you because we're not going to take the time to read them. It's John 16, verses 12 through 15, where the Lord explains how he's going to give his disciples more information. And it's basically coming through him. And that's also reinforced in John 14, verses 24 through 26. So make note of those two references and check them out. And the reason I do that is because if we say, well, Paul said, well, Paul didn't really say it. Yeah, Paul wrote it, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit received it from the Lord Jesus Christ, who received it from the Father. So anything in God's word is to be spoken with authority because it is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I came up with seven things the Lord said about his word. Now, whether we'll get through all seven, uh, knowing me, we probably won't, but that doesn't matter. We can get through several of these to give you an idea of some of the marvelous things that are said that the Lord emphasizes. The first is found in John chapter 6. So just turn back to John chapter 6. Now, this is kind of a difficult chapter for many people. I know it was a very difficult dissertation that the Pharisees and the scribes were listening to, and they just couldn't really understand <laughs> what the Lord was saying, and I'm not so sure if we don't look at it carefully, we will as either. But I want to just emphasize, starting with verse 63, Jesus said concerning his word, it is the spirit who gives life, and flesh profits nothing. But words that I speak to you are spirit, spiritual, and they are life, will lead to life. That's an important statement. Jesus said the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. 
You see, they were means he used to feed us the spiritual truth concerning, in this case, in this chapter, his body and his blood. Now, we're going to look at a few other verses here, then go back to that passage. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I just circled a couple here. I want to hear what the, and this is Jesus speaking. Verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no means cast out. Verse 30 or 41, last part, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears it, believes in me, has everlasting life. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, and will live, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give in my, is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 53, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And then we get down to verse 63. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, as you read through these particular verses, I just want to mention one thing. Because we had just finished gathering at the Lord's table. You see, what he says in the sixth chapter has no reference to the Lord's Supper at all. That's not what he's referring to here, although there are those who believe and pattern their interpretation of the Lord's Supper based upon these words that he spoke here in chapter uh, uh, 6. And, of course, there's three reasons why this has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. You see, had the, the supper been in view uh, to eat of the bread and drink of the blood or the cup of the supper, that would make us part uh, participants of eternal life. And, of course, that is not what takes place because there's no faith in Christ that is necessary here. You know, as we took part of those emblems this morning, that didn't give us eternal life. Did it? There are those who believe it does because they take this verse out of context. Also, the main subject here is eternal life. That subject is never mentioned in connection with the Lord's Supper. What do we remember? We remember the Lord in his death. Now, yes, we know. That's what led to us to, to be able to have eternal life. But that is not the purpose of taking of those emblems. And also he says in verse, uh, verses 33 and 51, he says that giving of his flesh and blood is for the life of the world. Well, the Lord's Supper was not instituted for the world, but for his disciples, his followers, the body of Christ. Just want to mention that because there's so many in the world today who have a false impression of what the Lord was talking about here today. You know, the spiritual truth concerning his flesh and blood is that one must appropriate, believe, accept the saving efficacy of his death to be in possession of eternal 
life. You know, he's talking to these religious Jews, and they can't for the life of them figure out what he is talking about. And what he's trying to convey is this. My words are spiritual and they're life-giving. Appropriate what I am going to do for you. So you may have eternal life. I trust this morning that everybody here has appropriated these truths about his body and his blood. They were shed for you. His body was broken for you. Knowing that here is not enough. It has to be appropriated. Unfortunately, many of those who heard this or heard him speak did not understand that he was the bread of life that came down from heaven. And it was only through his atoning death, his becoming the son of man, that eternal life would be possible. Oh, how important it is we understand the truth of that. So... Here we see in verse 63, his words are spirit, and they are and will lead to eternal life. And we'll just close this little section with John 5, 24, because Jesus said this. He who will hear, listen with a view of obeying my word, and believe him who sent me, will have everlasting life. They will not come into judgment because they have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. His words are spiritual, and they bring life. And that's why they're important. Now, Matthew 4.14 is the second passage I'm going to refer to here. It's a very short passage that deals with the parable of the sower, but it, he simply says, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And of course, he's speaking about that they are like seeds. And I can almost envision him standing on the seashore looking back over the crowds and the crowds looking up into the hills. And probably what was taking place at the very time he was talking about this is people were sowing seed. <laughs> they, would, they should have understood what he was going to say here. The sower sows the word. See, the parable of the sower tells us that the Son of Man sows the living word or the living seed, the seed that brings forth spiritual life. Now, a seed is a marvelous thing because seed has life within it, the essence of life within it. And, you know, 1 Peter 1.23 tells us we are born again, given spiritual life by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you put a seed of grain in the ground, and what do you end up with? Well, you end up with a harvest. Because there's life in the seed. And the seed that he is sowing is the word of God. The only thing that can give you spiritual life that can grow in the things of God. 
See, the incorruptible seed of the word of God, when received by faith, germinates and imparts spiritual life. You remember that day when that seed took root and you became alive in Christ? I can remember that day vividly. I knew about the parable before I appreciated that life-giving seed taking part in my life. But I'll never forget the day it did. Because that's where my spiritual life began. That seed, the word of God, was implanted. And it gave me spiritual life. And to this day, if you allow this word, <laughs> this seed to keep growing in your life, you will grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do that apart of it from his word. You see, it is life-giving seed that lives and abides forever. I'm so thankful and I praise God that the seed, the word of God, has given, imparts to me a life that will never end. It lives forever. The next one I just want to mention that the Lord said is John 15, verse 3. John 15, verse 3. When he says there, Now ye are clean through the word I have spoken unto you. Well, this tells me his words have a cleansing power. His word has a cleansing power. Do you want to be clean? You have to go to his word. It's his word that has the cleansing power. First for salvation, and then for your walk with the Lord. You know, Christ's words have this cleansing, purifying effect in every aspect of our relationship. And I want to just mention the two basic ones, and we've already kind of mentioned those this morning at the Lord's table. Justification and sanctification. I just want to mention over in John chapter 13, you don't have to turn to it, it's just one little verse here we're going to look at, but in John chapter 13, verse 10, he's talking about, of course, when he's washing the <coughs> disciples' feet here, but he just says to them, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean course, he says, not you all, because he was referring to Joseph, er, Judas. But you see, he who is bathed, here we have justification. You know, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you are cleansed from every sin and stain permanently. All right? That's your standing before the Lord. You're declared righteous. You're justified. You're reconciled. There's so many different words. God is propitiated by the, by the finished work of, of Christ on the cross to the point where he can declare you righteous. All right? So, you see, if you've accepted Christ, you have been bathed. And all of his disciples but one were bathed. They were cleansed. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But then he also says, but you know, you still need your feet washed. Well, that's sanctification as I look at it. You see, that's our daily walk. Now, I know my standing before God is one of sanctification. I've been set apart to God from sin. But I also know in my daily walk, my feet get dirty, and so do yours. You see, the word of God has a cleansing effect. It will first cleanse you from your sin unto salvation, but then it will cleanse you daily. And, of course, the Lord made that clear uh, in, uh, in relationship to Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 23. He says, we are redeemed or cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. That's what we rejoiced in this morning. And, of course, in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses or redeems us from all sin. That's our justification. But, of course, it's interesting now. You look at a few other verses in Scripture now. One from Psalm 51, 7 is not really one of those words that the Lord spoke. But David understood something. We read in that psalm, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then he goes on in verse 10 and says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What a prayer. It's one we should keep in mind. It's interesting in the Lord Jesus Christ's highest priestly prayer in John 17, verse 17, he's now speaking concerning his disciples, his followers, those who believe in him. And what does he say to them? He says, Father, I want you to sanctify them. Set, apart, set them apart to yourself and from sin through the truth. And then he says, thy word is truth. You see, for our daily walk, the Lord is praying that we live a sanctified life. He's prayed that we would. And he's told us in that prayer the means for that to take place. This is where you will be cleansed daily. You spend time in God's word and it will keep you from sinning. If you find yourself in sin, it's because you're not, you're not involved in God's word. God's word will keep you from sin, as people say, or sin will keep you from God's word. God's word is vital. You see, it truly it has a cleansing effect. And of course, in Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 25 and 26, Christ speaking of his church, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word of God. See how important his words are for us? Well, the next thing, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you're close by, you can turn to it. If not, make note of it. But here where he said, Jesus said <clears throat> to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
Now, who was he speaking to here? Yes, they were Jews, but Jews who what? Believed in him. So he's talking to those of us who know him. And what we find out here is that his words bring us into liberty. Not license, but liberty. If you continue in my words, he says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, free to do what? Free of what? Well, a few verses came to mind. In Romans 3.20, it says, By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified or declared righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What does the law really do? It doesn't declare us righteous. It declares us unrighteous. And yet people try to appease God through works of righteousness. You, you can't be righteous through your own works. You can't be righteous by keeping God's law. Because you can't keep God's law. It declares you are unrighteous. But then he goes on in verses 21 and 22 of Romans 3 and says, Now the righteousness of God is revealed. And here it is. Through faith in Jesus Christ. I also enjoyed uh, Romans 8 too, where we have two laws here. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin. You know, Jesus Christ said, if the Son makes you free, oh, you're free indeed. You're free from the law. You're free from sin. Now, I understand we still sin. But as far as the ultimate consequences, I am no longer in fear of my sin. It's been paid for. I'm in Christ, and he has set me free from sin's penalty, sin's guilt, sin's power, and someday I'll even be free from sin's very presence. You see, as we abide or continue and rest in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be liberated from sin and the law and spiritual death. Now, having said that, I just want to remind you of 1 Peter 2.16, because he's talking about freedom as well. He understands, Peter understands, that we as believers are set free. But you see, he goes on and says, yet not using liberty as a cloak of vice, but as bondservants of God. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ sets me free, that doesn't mean I'm free to do whatever I please. And don't ever think it does. You're not free to do whatever you please. Yes, I'm forgiven. Does that mean I can go out and sin? You know, in Romans, he, you know, Romans said, you know, well, if God loves to ex extend his grace, well, we should just keep on sinning. So he can extend his grace more and more because he loves to show grace. And what did Paul say? God forbid. 
You see, we've been set free to live for, to serve, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've been set free for. If the Son has made you free, oh, my dear brother and sister, you're free indeed to live for him, to serve him, and to walk and to work as it is, which we're going to be looking at tonight. Well, let's move on to the fifth one here. Let's go to John 15. John 15. <clears throat> now, there's all kinds of other verses we could use. These aren't the only ones by any stretch. I mean, there's so many verses we could have looked at here, but these are the ones that the Lord laid on my heart as I was studying this. I just want to read five different verses here because they're all very important, and they tell us some things, again, about the preciousness of God's word of Christ's words to us. We can start with verse 3, just to reinforce something I've already said here, because we're talking mainly to believers. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Remember, you were saved through the word of God. But then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. Now let's go to verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And the final verse I just want to look at is verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, in these five verses... There's three things that if we abide in Christ's word, that we will, be in the, we will be able to do. But you have to abide in his word to do these things. If you don't abide in his word, these things will not happen. The first is I want to mention is in verse 9. You will abide in his love. Now, abiding means what? You're living in a close relationship with him. Okay? That's what it means to abide. Have a close relationship with the Lord. And when you have that, you will abide in his love. You see, as his word abides in us richly, Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith, and you will experience the love of God in your life. How often do you really experience the love of God in your life? Just think about it. Now, I know he loves me, but how often do I really experience it? Well, I know for one thing, I experience it when I'm in his word. <laughs> oh, it just comes so vividly clear. The great love he has for me and the love I should have for him. Yes, we will abide in his love. 
Secondly, in verse 16, the last part, you will experience answered prayers in your life. I know we all pray. And you experience, really experience God's answers to your prayers in your life? And we just had an experience last Sunday driving to Fullerton. Um, the, the, <laughs> the little light for the tire went on. I didn't think too much of it because we've had that go on before. It's a slow leak in one of the tires. And I said, ah, we'll fix it when we get home. And uh, we get pulling the parking lot, and I look at the tire. I thought it didn't look bad, but I went to the other side, and it was, the other one was right down to the ground. And here we're driving, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour because you're forced to do that here. I wouldn't do that on my own. <laughs> uh, but, but here we're going, and you know, the first thing we said is praise the Lord for getting us here. And we pray, in fact, Pat always does, as we're driving out of our driveway, she starts to pray. Lord, watch over us, take care of us. And boy, did he ever again. And we've experienced that so many times. Yes, the Lord does answer prayer. And, you know, as you think about answered prayer, it's a marvelous thing. But, you know, unless you're really abiding in his word... You're not going to experience that. That doesn't mean he doesn't answer your prayers, but often you will not understand it because you only have one thing in mind. If it isn't what you get that's on your mind, well, obviously he isn't going to answer this one or he's not listening. Even when we thought everything was fine and it wasn't, (laughs) he was taking care of us. Another thing here, verse 16 and also verse 4 says it will result in bearing fruit, spiritual fruit in the lives, in your lives to his honor and glory. You see, if, he, if you're not abiding in his word and he's not abiding in you and you and him, uh, you cannot bear fruit because he also tells us in verse 5, without me you can do nothing. I hope you understand that. From a spiritual sense, there's absolutely nothing you can do, even though you may think you are. You're not abiding in Christ and his word. This uh, little phrase, uh, I want you to just turn back here. we got time. Just I want to, We'll close with this here. There's, there's a little phrase in John chapter 14 I feel we should address because a lot of people don't understand this either. He says in verse 13, And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, he said the same thing in verse 16 of John chapter 15. Whatever you ask in, my, in the Father in my name, he may, he may, he'll give it to you. Well, what does it really mean to ask in his name? Because, you know, a lot of people say, well, this is an open-end book. I can ask for anything. And as long as I ask in his name, he'll do it. Well, what does it mean to ask in his name? Does it mean that you put at the end of your request, I ask this and pray in Jesus' name, amen? 
Or you might even go so far as say, I ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Is that what's going to do it? Is that what it means to ask in Jesus' name? Oh, not at all. There's many ways to explain this, but I came across something by W. E. Vine, which I thought really summarized this so, so vividly. And I'll just pass it on and let you hopefully benefit from it. He points out that it does not mean simply adding the phrase to your prayer. This is what it involves. To experience or the experience of your relationship to him and your fellowship with him. That's verse 4. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then this can happen. But that's not it only. Secondly, your resemblance of his character, Christ's likeness, and your delight in his will, which his, which his name implies. You know, we often say, your will be done. But do we really mean it? You see, first of all, am I living in a manner pleasing to the Lord? Is my life Christ-like? Now, I know we're not perfect, but is that the desire and the goal of my life, and that's what I'm striving to do? But you know, when it comes time to pray, do you really delight in the Lord's will being done in your prayer? See, that's what, you know, asking in his name implies. You just, it's implied. You want his will to be done in your prayer. But then he goes on and said, it means the appropriation of his merits, his rights, his claims concerning your petition. See, are you concerned with what he has a right to do and desires to do with your petition? Or are you so wrapped up in what you desire and want done in your position and petition to him. What's the focal point? Well, if you want to ask in his name, it implies you want his will done or you're not asking in his name. Asking in his name is shown in living in obedience to his word because of your love for him. I didn't say because of your obedience to him. Is that important? Oh, yeah, it is. But it's because of your love for him. See, all of these things. You see, so now when you read those verses, there's no open-endedness there. You see, if you're truly praying in his name, it's because you love him. You have this relationship with him. You desire his will to be done in your life, no matter what the circumstance is in your life. That's praying in his name. And then you will get his answer, which is always good, acceptable, and perfect to him. And therefore, in your best interest. Well, our time is gone. We didn't get through the other and a couple of others, but it doesn't matter how many we get through. You have enough here to go through the scriptures now, I hope, and just start looking at the things the Lord has said his words, and see how precious they really are. 
First of all, for salvation. Secondly, for your walk and your work for him. And I hope everybody understands one important thing. His words will be the final judge of the sinner and the saint at last. His word. And John 12, 47 and 48 brings that out. There's many things we could talk about. You understand how important God's word is for us. So we'll just close with this little quote that I came across. It has been said of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, in them there is no confusion, no uncertainty, no hesitation, no mistake ever acknowledged, no perhaps, or I think, or possibly, or any evidence of fallibility. Thus we should rely totally on his words, make them known to others, study them, carefully to learn them, obey them without question. Because you see, Christ's words are spoken with authority, they're spoken with power and grace, and they're spoken with absolute wisdom. May we spend time in God's words so that God can really work in our lives to his honor and glory and to our betterment. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son and our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been reminded this morning of his glorious words. Oh, the authority. They are God's words. Oh, how gracious they are in revealing to us our sinful condition and the means by which it can be dealt with to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for the wisdom that we can gain from spending time in your word. It truly is a lamp onto our feet. It is a light onto our path. May we read it and study it and then apply it in our hearts and lives day by day. Place this desire within each and every one of us. Part us now with your blessing. Bring us out this evening, if it be your will. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.